0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 290 of the Ask the Coach Show, where ping skills helps you improve your table tennis. Today we are continuing our look at the building blocks of table tennis and we'll focus some more on match play. I'm Jeff Plum and as always I'm joined by Super Coach Alois Rosario. Welcome Aloys. Morning, Jeffrey, and uh
1: Almost the end of winter here in Australia.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm I'm just waiting for some warmer weather. We've had a couple of days which have been nicer, but it's, you know, it's cold still today and we've had a few cold days. So, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to spring coming along.
1: Yes, yeah, spring is almost sprung. Come on, spring. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, table tennis, you can play it anywhere, anytime.
0: That's the beauty about table tennis, isn't it? Anywhere, anytime, any age, it's a sport for everyone.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I do some coaching with other sports and, uh, you know, often often the other sports like tennis and, you know, other outdoor sports have to be cancelled, but, you know, we're always good indoors.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, I love it, and... Um, Alloys, I think it's time to move on to the segment of the show on this day. What do you have for us? Uh,
1: yes, well, yeah, a couple of couple of notable birthdays and one um, one special one for me. Tibor Klamper, Um Clampar has his birthday on the twenty eighth of August, so a couple of days ago. Um, he was born in nineteen seventy two. So what does that make him, Jeffrey?
0: He was born in nineteen seventy two.
1: Yeah, that's what it says here.
0: That cannot be right. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: it can't be right. Exactly, it can't be right. No, that that can't be right at all. That, um, that
0: would make him just uh, 45. 45.
1: No, that's wrong. I don't know what's going on there. Anyway, yeah. hope, hopefully it was his birthday a couple of days ago.
0: <laughs> but you, it, this segment's in tatters, Alice. It,
1: it gives us a chance to talk about <laughs> this, one of the is great. It, is
0: this a, is this a different T-ball or is this?
1: Oh, uh, you know, it could well be. You need anyway. to do
0: a bit more research for this on this day. You know, I put a lot of effort into my joke of the week, and you're just taking this on this day not very seriously.
1: Well, we get to talk about T-ball clampar, Jeffrey.
0: The okay, great... Well, let's talk about T-Ball Clampa, even though we have no idea when his birthday is. Or if he's only 45 <laughs> years old, and that's pretty impressive. Uh,
1: maybe that's when he won his last match or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, t Bor Clampa, whether it's his birthday or not, um, won two World Championship gold medals.
0: He, w- um, in, he won in 1971 before he was born. That's <laughs> <laughs> very impressive. Uh, he won the doubles in
1: 1971 before he was born. Yeah, well done. Yeah, people. well, he, he was he was a child <laughs> protege, Jeffrey. Um, an embryo. Didn't... There's not even an embryo. He's no. Still... <laughs> well, he, no. Well, he might have been. Like, wait. Um, so, yes, well, he did win the uh, World Double Championships in Nagoya in 1971 and won the World Teams in the famous 1979 match in Pyongyang when in they. North m- Korea. Exactly, when they beat the Chinese um, in that classic match, uh, when Klampar, Gergay, Yonya uh, knocked off the, the the what they thought was the unbeatable Chinese team, and uh, and just, you know the, the thing that stood out in that match was they had practiced for months on their flicking and uh, really surprised the Chinese by coming out and flicking all the short balls. So, uh, you know, really ahead of their time at that stage.
0: Yes, and we uh, did a Remember When segment in the Ping Skills show on that, Alice. So which, we'll have to put we, a link in the show notes to that particular episode of the PingSkill show so people can go check it out because it, it yeah. is a fantastic story.
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, but apart from that, he also won a World Singles Cup in 1981 um, when he was just nine years old um and <laughs> no, <he wasn't> really. <laughs> um and um won three european uh gold medals um never won the singles in the european championships, got a bronze medal in eighty two in the singles, but won uh the doubles in seventy four and won the teams uh twice in seventy eight and eighty two so yeah very decorated player and and a lot of people say that he was the um the the first waldner so he uh, he also had Incredible touch and ability, and I actually got to a chance to see them play each other um, in uh, the World Championships uh, when in '87 in uh, New Delhi, when Klamper played Waldner, and it was a bit of a classic match with uh, Waldner winning. Uh, Waldner, of course, going on to to reach the final in uh, in that World Championships in '87.
0: Yeah, so, very impressive. Yeah. So yeah, it seemed like such a great player, yeah, a lot of medals, very impressive, but um seemed to have more success in the teams um events than the singles. Yeah,
1: yeah well they had they had that strong team around him, you know, of uh Jonya and Jonya Klampar and um Gerge were just uh were the classic Hungarian team of the time. Um yeah, and probably the last of the real great Hungarian teams.
0: Mm, there you go. All right. So um if it wasn't his birthday around this day, is there any other good birthdays you've got for us? <laughs>
1: yeah, well, Joe Montero uh, was uh, born on the 29th of August. Um, so he won the gold medal in the um, in doubles at the European Championships in um, uh, 2015. That's impressive. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, then Jens Lundquist mm-hmm. shares a birthday with Joe Montero. Um, he uh, played for Sweden at the uh, 2008 uh, Olympics in the singles and teams, and then uh, also in the teams in 2012 at the Olympics. And then uh, then Gavin Rumgay, um, a Scottish player, uh, was born on the 27th of August, um, probably now known more for his uh, great commentary on uh, ITTF, on the ITTV. So if you hear that Scottish accent, uh, that is who you're hearing, Gavin Rumgay. But also still playing and still a very strong competitor for Scotland and uh, no doubt will be at the Commonwealth Games in, in uh, Australia at the, on the Gold Coast in April next year.
0: There you go. All right. Well, um, good segment. Now, just I'm just doing a bit of my own research and um, apparently T-Ball Clamper was born on the 30th of April in 1953.
1: Yeah, there you go. See, so no, no... No um, relation to this uh, On This Day segment, but we just got a chance to talk about him at least, I but, guess. Well,
0: oh, there don't... probably is another, because you must have got this from somewhere, so there's probably another, you know, namesake that was born on the 28th of the 8th, 72.
1: Did he have a son that played? Well, after to... if any of you know, if any of you got any idea about um, some facts about this segment, um, that'd be great. Uh, <laughs> let us know.
0: Yeah. But, it, you know, because oh, before... You know, when I thought his birthday was in on the 28th of the 8th, I was going to say that's a pretty good, seems like a pretty good time to be born because look at all these players you've got born, you know, on the 27th, 28th and 29th of August.
1: Exactly, yeah. But, just but not, no, uh, he's born just 30th of April. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: all right. right. Well, let's go on, alloys, to the joke of the week. Now, unlike you, I put a lot of effort into these. Okay. Um, I-
1: Good. Um, good, good for, to hear. For and, our and, audience. And, and they're still not funny.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. All right, well, Alois and people at home, think hard about this one. Why did the skeleton go to the party alone?
1: Um, I don't know. Why did he go to the party alone, Jeff?
0: Well, he, the skeleton went to the party alone because he had nobody to go with him. Yes, it's funny. See all the preparation and all the effort. It's worthwhile. Yeah, and
1: still nothing That's because right.
0: it gets people laughing. It, it just yeah. Uh, if you're yeah, laugh- so-
1: if you're laughing at home, have a good think about yourself.
0: <laughs> oh dear! All right, now before this podcast, you know, gets any worse, <laughs> let's get on <laughs> to the tip of the week, alloys. What have you got for us?
1: OK, well, the tip of the week this week um, is is match play related. Um, but it came from uh, I was listening to the radio the other day and um, it was a, actually a golf segment. Um chap, chap called Mark Allen, who, you know, did pretty well on the golf circuit. He was talking about Jason Norris, who was an Australian who just won the Fiji Open tournament, and you know, as a bit of a breakthrough. And what he was talking about was Jason Norris is now saying or talking a lot about what made the change in his game. And, you know, he's a little bit older and he's he's had some good success lately. And Jason Norris and Mark Allen were talking about just the improvement in his short game. So they were saying, like, it's fun to hit the long balls, you know, the big drives and that sort of thing. But for results, it's about practicing your short game. And I think... Relating that back to table tennis, it's also really relevant. We often um, find that players love to practice the, you know, topspin, the to topspin, and the big smashing and lobbing type play, which is good. But where you will get real improvement in results is by, by practicing your serve, your short pushing, your return of serving, um, just keeping that ball short, your touch, and your flicking. That's where you're going to get results changes. Um, it may not look good. It may not be pretty to practice, but um, it's going to be effective. So, um, yeah, some real relevance there from golf to table tennis. Practice your short play.
0: Love that tip, Alloys. And, you know, often people think that it's not fun or that it isn't glamorous, but it can be fun. And I think also the more you develop your short game – that gives you more opportunities to actually play those bigger shots in a match as well. So it's kind of like a win-win for you. Um, and I guess this moves us on, Alloys, to the drill of the week. How how can we, you know, what can we do with to improve our short game in a drill-related way?
1: Yeah. So um, yeah. So the the drill of the week this week is the short play game. Now this is a this is a game that I use quite a bit and have um, a lot of uh, success with with players because they, they actually enjoy practicing their short play. So what the short play game is, there's a few extra rules. So it's just pushing short, but the only way that you can win a point is by getting the ball to touch the net and go over. So if you're pushing and you push the ball and it touches the net and goes over, you win the point automatically. So what that does is it gets players to start to get that ball much lower. Then there are some progressions that you can also add to um, the short play game. And that is that um, because what tends to happen is that players then start to just lob the ball up really high and short. Um, But we add in an extra rule where you're allowed to play one attacking shot. So we're playing short. We're doing these short pushes, if you can um, imagine that. And my opponent pushes the ball up really high. I'm allowed to smash that away. So if I smash it away, I win the point. But if I go for a smash or an attacking shot and my opponent gets the ball back on the table, they win the point automatically. So that just um, introduces um, a little bit of an element of looking for that higher ball. And also stops players from just lobbing the ball up high and keeping it short.
0: Yeah, that's it. Is a really good game, Alois. And I think um, you know turning drills into games, especially if you're competitive, can be a really good way to you know enhance your focus and and get you to work on that skill with a bit more concentration. It really works well.
1: Yeah, and um, you know you can then think about some other extensions of that. Uh, game or drill that you can use um, and you'll be able to start to find different ways that you can uh, make it even more fun. So, yeah, give the short play game a go this week as your drill of the week and remember, short play will make the big changes to your results.
0: Awesome. Alright, great great advice there. Okay, let's um, let's move on then to the tournament wrap. Now, there's uh, been a the Czech Open's quite a big tournament, Alois. It's it's completed uh, over the weekend, and some very interesting results. Yes.
1: Yeah, so in the women's singles, um, yeah, if we remember back to the previous, time, it was the Bulgarian Open. I can't remember what was last week. Yep. Um It was so far far away. <laughs> um, the um, the Japanese women filled all sixteen places in the last sixteen. Um, so you know, which was just an absolutely monumental. Um, result and you know i think uh, we do need to check those record books to see if that is a first but um but in the check open uh we ended up having three japanese players in the last semi in the in the four, last four in the semi-finals so again that's a pretty strong effort by the japanese um team so at the top uh, of the draw we had ishikawa playing uh, hamamoto Uh, from Japan and in the bottom half we had Mima Ito playing Han Ying from Germany Um, and the semis went to Ishikawa and Mima Ito so both players in the final again from Japan and this time Mima Ito getting up in a bit of a surprise result um, winning 4-1 against Ishikawa so Ishikawa definitely the favorite there Um, but Mima Ito had a had a day out and had a good tournament, and you know we uh, we've been singing her praises for a long time. And there's always this settle in period for a young player. You know they they come up, they they do so well. Um, everyone's talking about them, and then there's often just that little bit of a period where there's a there's a downturn or a plateau. You know maybe this is the start of the next little surge for Mima Ito. So uh, so well done Mima Ito winning the check. Open women singles.
0: Yeah, because yeah, she like you said, she sort of stormed onto the scene, and then it's not like she's had bad results. She still had good results, but um, you know, yeah, this is this is just another step forward. Absolutely,
1: and uh, you know, on talking about young up up and coming players, men singles. Well, you know, we we keep being amazed by it, but Harry Moto. Won the men's singles, the youngest player to win the men's singles. I think he's fourteen years old and you know something something days. Um, it's just incredible, and he knocked off Timo Boll in the final. You know, <laughs> you you'd think, well, you know, the experience of Boll might just get him over the line, um, and uh, and you'd be you, you wouldn't be silly to think it, but boy, Harry Moto came back and won the match 4-2. So he was down um, two games to one. So bowl uh, won the uh, second and third games, 11-4, 11-8. Uh, but then uh, Harry Moto, uh came back and won the last three to have a 4-2 victory. Um, so, you know, Harry Moto, he is the talk of the town. He is absolutely sensational, um, you know, but... The the line won't just keep going upwards. It can't. You know, there will be little plateaus for him again, um, you know, just 14 years of age. But, I mean, just so, so exciting, so exciting to see him. But, you know, he didn't have it all his own way either. Um, in the semis, he uh, he played Calderano from Brazil. Um, and I think Calderano, I was watching it. Calderano must have had five or six match points in the seventh game. Um and uh Harimoto ended up winning sixteen fourteen in the seventh. I think um I think Calderano had every advantage until fourteen all um when uh Harimoto uh is almost broke Calderano's serve and then won the next point. So so, you know, tough uh, tough semi. Calderano also very impressive, uh beating Matsudaira, the second seed, in the last sixteen. So, uh, yeah, so good tournament for, you know, for the up-and-coming players. And, and that's why that's why I like this level of tournament as well. Um, you know, without uh, the top few players there, it really opens up the field for everyone else. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, it really is a good format, the, the World Tour, isn't it? Because you get, the, yeah, the different ranges and you get to see players shine at different tournaments, but then you've got the big events. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I really like it. But, you know, back to Harimoto, is there any other sport... Where a 14-year-old can, you know, be the top of the world and and win at that young age?
1: Swimming, gymnastics, um, I I guess. But not not in a sport that takes so much time to develop and technically as well. Um, So, yeah, I mean, for table tennis, it's just incredible.
0: Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Exactly. I mean, if you compare it to other kind of racket sports, yeah. I mean, I don't. You know, if someone comes through that young at tennis, it's very unusual. I don't. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, in the I suppose the eighties, nineties, there was um, you know the young uh, US uh, tennis women players that came through. Yeah, and
0: Swiss Um, Martina Hingis was young, and even Australian Leighton Hewitt, he kind of beat Andre Agassi when he was very young.
1: Yeah. Um, to,
0: yeah, to but, go onto there, but yeah, it's super.
1: But not impressive. fourteen, fourteen, fourteen's such a such a young age. I mean, fourteen compared to sixteen is is such a huge difference.
0: Yeah, because you do you grow so much in that time, and yeah, it, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's going to be scary to see what happens from here for Harry Moto.
1: Yeah, and you know, it, it for me it'll just be interesting. Um, you know, can he reach world number one? I mean, just to, to get across cross the line over the over the top Chinese players is such a huge hurdle um I mean if anyone's going to do it he's going to do it you'd think but um yeah I mean as we always talk about progress is not linear though you know so Mm -hmm. there will be bumps along the way and it's how well um Harry Moto can ride those bumps and you know the team around him that um that keep him going through those uh through those times as well
0: yeah absolutely
1: and I have to say he um I had a little bit to do with him at the Australian Open and he just seems like a very down-to-earth young man that, um, you know, has his head uh, screwed on um, very well. So, you know, be, be be good to see.
0: Yes, it will indeed. All right, Alois, that brings us on to the questions. Um, are you ready? I certainly am. <laughs> awesome. I'm such a
1: after such a buzzy first part of this uh, show.
0: <laughs> exactly. Now, um, first up, we've got a question from Dipoyan who wants to know about the Dmitry Ovdurov serve, alloys. Now, he's, he's talking particularly about this backhand serve, where I, I'm not even sure how to explain it, but Dmitry gets down really low, and his head looks tilted, and he's in this really awkward position for his serve, and he wants to know, why does he... Why does he get into that position?
1: Um, that's a really good question, Dipayan. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I think the the key for me is that he's the only one doing it. Um, there's people aren't copying it, so I don't think that it's all that beneficial to be down in that lower position um, when you're start starting that backhand serve. He get he gets some nice rotation when he comes up. Um, but for me, it's a lot of wasted energy, you know, um, if you're thinking about copying his serve. You know, you can never you can never um, criticise the guy for serving like that because he does it and he does it so, so well. It fits into his game beautifully. And, you know, the guy's top four in the world. So, um, <laughs> you know, he's, he's doing all right for himself. But um, it's not something that I'd recommend players necessarily copy um, because – it's, it's such an awkward position to come out of um, and to play that backhand serve.
0: Yeah, and for me, just even the head tilt's kind of a bit disorientating when you tilt that and then come up and trying to get ready for the next play. So yeah, I don't think he gets a lot of advantage out of doing that and not many people are copying him. So I think that probably gives you a tip that it's not necessarily that big of an advantage. Um, yeah, but like you but, said, it's unusual. So people maybe it's a, it's harder for people to return it because they're not used to playing against that sort of style of serve.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's just different. So um, yeah. Anyway, if you haven't uh, seen Dmitry Ovcherov's backhand serve, uh, we'll put some links on um, on there to uh, to a video we made.
0: Indeed. Awesome. All right. Thanks for the question, Dipayan. All right. Next up is one from Chandra. Chandra Chur, who wants to know about humidity and the rubber. He says, where I go to play, the club is very humid, and when I go into there, I test out my rubbers by rubbing the ball against it to check the grip, and he can feel that the rubbers are in tip-top condition, but after playing for, you know, half an hour, he checks his rubbers again, and they feel like they've become the best anti spin rubbers in the world with no grip at all, and he thinks his rubbers are dead, but once he gets home again, they've got their grip back. So you know this problem is really haunting um, Chandra Chur, and he wants to know you know what can he do about this.
1: Yeah, so um, so this is a common problem. If if you're playing in a humid climate, the what happens is that the the rubber actually gets a little uh, layer of moisture on it, so it's it becomes slippery. So the the ball isn't um, contacting the rubber. It's contacting water almost, so that's why the bat becomes slippery. Really important if you're playing in these in that situation to dry your bat before every point. Now, if um, if you're playing in a tournament, uh, for example, I mean, and you're only allowed to towel down every six points, um, have uh, something on you, like have a have a um, you know if you've got a dry shirt or. a if you can put a towel somewhere um, on yourself that you can dry your, dry your bat uh, constantly, but you need to dry it. And if your bat is visibly wet, you need to show the umpire and show them that your bat is wet because you don't you don't want to play with a wet bat, and your opponent doesn't want you playing with a wet bat either. So it's really important that you keep an eye on on your um, rubber uh, if you're playing in a humid climate and constantly constantly dry it off because if you're not doing that um yeah the ball is going to behave like anti-spin um and you're just not going to be able to play properly
0: yeah exactly and initially like you said alice you can just use your shirt or you know your t-shirt but if you are playing in these humid conditions you probably get sweaty as well so that's when you probably do need a towel or something to dry it down because your shorts and that will get wet as well
1: yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, but um yeah. Uh hopefully that helps you out, Chandra Chur. So yeah, grab a towel, just dry it every point, um, especially once, you know, it starts getting wet. Um and that should help you out. Great question. All right, next up is one from Vishal who says I lost the game. to an opponent, despite having the lead 2-0. And the player at face did not have any technique, but he just used to yell when he got a point. He says, I need to know how to overcome this problem because I just defeated three players with a very good technique and I don't want to uh, repeat this mistake again. So what tips do you have, Alois, for Vishal about losing to a weaker but unorthodox player?
1: Yeah, so Vishal, I think... It's it's really important to uh, distinguish between weaker and unorthodox. Unorthodox players can often be um, stronger. They may not look good. They their strokes may not be um, uh, you know regular, but they can be effective. And until you can learn to deal with playing against that type that type of player, then They're not a weaker player. They're actually a stronger player. So um, the first thing is it's important to try to get uh, play or practice or games against that type of player as much as you can. You know, uh, often uh, in a controlled or club or training environment, we're playing with players that hit the ball nicely with topspin and very what we call clean topspin strokes. You know, the ball's just coming through nicely and flying through nicely for us. So as soon as we come up against a player that plays with you know some side spin or their bats a bit um, funny and you know reverses the spin or whatever that whatever it is, um, it's difficult to adjust and it, and, and they're, they're shots that you haven't learned to deal with. So it's important that you learn to deal with that type of shot. When you do, then you're going to be able to overpower them. but until you do, you're not going to be able to beat that level of player or that type of player. So, um, yeah, the, the first thing is to, I suppose, accept that what they're doing is something that you need to improve against um, and then practice against that style as much as you can um, and then go on and, um, you know, uh, work it at, work at tactically how to beat them as well.
0: Yeah, great point, point. and um, I'll put a link into the show notes, uh, Vishal and everyone else that's listening, to a, um, a ping pod that we did a while ago, it's a video that we called The Ping Pong Zone, where someone asked a very similar question, and we talk about this in detail in that video, so I'll put a link in there, have a look at that, but yeah, it is great advice, Alice, yeah, I think people just fall into the trap of thinking how a player looks is how strong or weak they are, but it, it's about the results, so... You know, if someone's beating you, then they're a stronger player, and you need to raise your level of play. And maybe even, as you said, Alois, play more against that style so you can learn how how to deal with that unorthodox style. But,
1: yeah, and I yeah, yeah sorry. And I, and I think what, the really important point here, though, is now why do we why do we advocate the style that we're talking about? You know, with clean topspin, etc. And that's because eventually you can reach a higher level. So, playing against, you know, sorry, that unorthodox style is okay up to a certain level, but it's then very difficult to progress any further. So, that's why it's important to learn the technique that you're learning. Um, But you need to be able to get over this level of player um, to be able to, you know, progress. Um, results-wise.
0: Yeah, good point. And I guess we can be confident that that topspin style will overcome the unorthodox style because you look at all the top players in the world and most of them, well, all of them will have, you know, what we consider the you know, that topspin style game.
1: Indeed.
0: Yeah, excellent. All right, great question, Vishal. Well, I guess there are choppers, aren't there, but they're few and far between. So I guess do you call them unorthodox these days?
1: Um, no, they're, so they're not unorthodox either because they're, they're. I mean, the balls um, are coming through cleanly. You know, they're consistent with what they're doing. Um, the unorthodox player, you know, often, you know, the ball's coming through with a bit of side spin or different types of spin all the time and, the, and their shots aren't regular.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Good point. All right. Thanks for the question, Vishal, and hopefully that helps you out. And, um, yeah, keep working, keep improving your game, and you will um, – Overpower those players once you once you develop your skills some more. All right, alloys. Here's a here's a fun question to finish up with uh, from Jim. He wants to know: sweat bands, yay or nay? He says he's noticed that you know when he plays table tennis, he does get sweaty, he does get drenched, and he knows there's you know you can have breaks to towel off, but he, he hasn't seen the professionals being decked out in headband since the 1980s, so he wants to know: Is it okay to wear sweatbands?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good question. Yeah, so he actually uh, put a uh, put a picture of Andre Agassi uh, with uh, with a with a headband and two wristbands and um, and lots yes. of flowing
0: hair coming out Lot- the top.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, it's not. Something that you see at the top level in table tennis, in general, um, you do see some bandanas every now and then that uh, that players use. Um, and why... yeah,
0: I know. You're like he feels like you know, putting the sweatbands on his head and on his wrists will will actually help with his sweating. But you know, he doesn't want to get bullied on top of losing to the twelve year olds at the club.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, Jim, poor Jim. Like Jim, you know. I reckon you're just going to have to bite the bullet. You could be the trendsetter. I think it's time that you set a new trend. Get out there, wear as many sweatbands as you possibly can uh, can muster. Um, I want to see a headband. I want to see at least two wristbands on each arm and, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, let us let's, let's see if you can start a new trend in table tennis to wear sweatbands. Okay. I, I want to see
0: it. Exactly.
1: And, um some photos would be nice too, Jim.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But you know, Andre Agassi here's got the white sweatbands. Now I don't recommend if you're using a white ball that you go the white sweatbands on your wrist, or you might get accused of cheating because you know the ball will hide in that white sweatband. Yeah, exactly. But, um, But there's another famous Jim in Melbourne, Jim Kildare. He wears a sweatband, doesn't he, He does
1: indeed. The great Jim Kildare, uh, uh, who is a man I've played many seasons of Pennant with. Uh, Yeah, he he does wear a sweatband. And I believe he still wears a sweatband around the – it's probably the same sweatband (laughs) that he's been wearing for the last 50 years. Um, But, uh, yeah, one of the greats in – In Australian table tennis, uh, Jim Kildarey does wear a sweatband. um, There you
0: go, and his name's Jim as well, Jim. So, yeah, I reckon go for it, as Aloy said. Get those sweatbands out, send us a photo, and, um, yeah, who knows? Maybe you'll even start beating those 12-year-old kids.
1: Exactly, because they'll be laughing too much.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah dear. All right, Alloys. Well, that's a wrap. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure you check out Pingskills.com for all the latest videos and um, ask us any questions there at Pingskills.com. We love answering them. So thank you for sending them in. Thanks for listening to the show, and thank you, Alloys.
1: Thanks, Jeffrey. And sorry, just a last little side note. We'll actually put a link up to a music video that Jim Kildare was featured in. Um, So you'll be able to see his sweatband.
0: Brilliant. Love it. Thanks, everyone, and we will catch you soon. Bye.